Yeah, so good to be here. Thank you for um, inviting me uh, for this year of men's camp. Um, I believe that God has a plan for us. Really, I believe that God has something that he wants to accomplish. I just felt in my heart that um, this weekend for some of you will be a time of, of alignment. I felt that for some of you the time um, for God to recalibrate, to bring you back into um, you know, the, plan, the, the plan and the path that, that is ordained for you. And so just take in what, what this weekend offers. Um, sometimes I think in our lives we, we try to make certain parts of our lives work, whether it be a marriage, our jobs, our finances. Yet, if it works at the center, the core of who you are, everything else in the periphery would work. Because your life has a center and then everything is, is connected like bespoke wheels and everything, if the center is intact, your relationship with God. I wish I would have had a, in my church, a, a, a seminar like this, I've never had something like this, where men come together for worship. When you connect God in your spirit at the center of who you are, it'll work in terms of your job. It'll work in terms of your marriage. It'll work in every area. But sometimes we run around trying to fix other areas that are broken as a result of the center being broken. If you fix the center, everything else will take. That's why the Bible talks about primary. Seek you first. So there are principles of priority. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then afterwards, and all these things shall be added unto you. So there's always a priority list. So you get the, you get the first things right. There's the principle of first fruit. You know, if the first one is holy and sanctified, then it, it influences whatever comes after that, you know. So I feel that this is a time really of, of, of alignment for some of you. And I really believe that God is going to do something great over, over this weekend. So I am from Port Elizabeth, married. Um, for, this is our 13th, well, just now the 3rd of November. It will be our 13th year um, of marriage I'm with my wife, Lindella. We have two children. My son is nine. His name is Bulumko, and my daughter is seven. Um, her name is Lumelo. So I was dropping at school on Wednesday because I traveled to the sun on Wednesday. So and then I tried to tell her that I'm going to come back on here on Monday and kiss me. And then she looked at me, and I'm dropping her to a class because, you know, I could take her to the class before the school starts. Before the bell rings, I could just walk into a class. And she said to me, why did you go? Why is it gone so long? I mean, I travel all the time, but this time around, she, and I left her with a face. I thought, ish. That face. I don't like that face. You know, that face. Why had it gone that long? And I, so I had to walk away, but I just walked away, and then that face just stayed with me. And I'm just about to fly out. That's weak. So I'm not like she's going to see me when I'm flying because I'm dropping in the afternoon before she was out of school. I'm going to catch my flight to Cape Town. But I left with that face. So you understand when I have to get back, I've got some things to work out. <laughs> and to make up. You know, to get to change that face. You know, we as fathers, we we have people like that in our lives whose faces affect everything about us, whose appearance just gets into our hearts. They have an ability to touch us in places that nobody else can. And if you have not experienced this before, you will experience this, but there's no point in being a biological father, meaning being ability to produce a child biologically, unless you've already grown to be a father in the spirit. Because not everyone who has a, who has a child biologically is a father. 
He may father a child, but he's not a father. Fathering a child, biological, doesn't mean you're fathering practically as a verb form. The word father may be a noun, it could be a verb as well. In terms of fathering, in terms of the practical application of fathering, you could have a baby because you produce a sperm, doesn't mean you can father a child. Fathering a child is not involve, involves more than pro, providing for a child financially. That's just the benefit. That's just the extra part. But the main part of fathering a child is being present in the life of a child. To bring, not, you say a truly rich man is who his child runs to him when his hands are empty. A truly rich man is who his children run to him when his hands are empty. Because they're running to you for not what you give, they're running to you for who you are. They want to be with you, not just take what you have in your hands. So we're not ATM dads. We're not just there to give. We are there of something. We're there to give of ourselves. But the problem is that we're not able to give of what ourselves because we have not received anything to give. We can't give what we don't have. So we've got nothing to give our children except our money, which is not the main thing that they need. They need us. So many South African dads are present physically. Not, not many, but... Those who are present are present mainly physically, but not emotionally. In my culture, uh, Kosa, black, whatever categories or demographic labels would use, only 35% of black people are raised by their fathers. Only 35%. What? That's a massive, massive issue. And those whose fathers are present, present in what way? To grant, to give instructions, to be angry, to be... To grow, they, they are not really present. I was going, I took my child to a doctor, and when my, when my son was born, and so my, my, we go to the hospital, and so my, my wife goes to the gyno, um, to, and I go to the pediatrician and, and we take my, my baby. And so the doctor is like, where's the wife? I said, no, she's going to, and he's waiting for the wife. I said, no, look, we can continue. So he's not sure if things are okay, like I can undress him. I said, look, I put the things on so I know how to put them off. i the one who does the stuff, so I know how to work this thing out. So he's a bit confused because it's not how it's done. It, it's, not, it's like, guys, don't do this. So I undressed the chap, and she, he did what he needed to do, weigh him up and check him up, and I put clothes back again, and then we came out. So I thought, okay, there's a problem here. And then another the time we come now, our daughter is born, so we come to the same hospital, we bring our daughter. And so, so I came back carrying my daughter, right? Now let me ask a question. The one who carries a baby, which part of the car, car he, he sits in? The one who carries a baby. Which part of the car you sit in? At the back. If you're carrying the baby, you can't sit in front, it's illegal. You sit at the back. So I go and sit there where the person who carries the baby have to sit. My wife sits in front to drive the car because she can drive the car. I married her driving so she doesn't stop driving because when she married me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't take away her abilities. I'm there to enrich and empower her to be more than she was. So marriage is supposed to empower both parties, not to disempower. So she goes in front and she drives the vehicle. I sit in the back with my baby. And I know that this is not how things are done. But who cares? I figured out that this is my child. She's in my chest. If anybody thinks I'm going to detach my child from my chest, that's to succumb to their feel, to a cultural, social bias or nonsense. They don't know who this guy is dealing with. 
This bonding moment is not about to be detached by some social pressure. I went to the back, we drove the car, I could see the eyes looking at me, I could feel the pressure, I, I could care less. I'm like, yes! Got them! Got the stereotype broken. I'm like, I enjoy this. I'm like, I love it. We drove away, I could see the eyes. I'm like, yes, whatever. Don't care what you think. I don't breathe your air. <laughs> so, so, my, so the guy in church's name is Tamba. So Tamba says, Tamba says, hey, no, because what happens is that, because he's in Kwasakia, and if you've been to Port Elizabeth, and you know township, this is like real townships. Kwasakia yeah. is a real, it's old township, it's like poverty, it's a real township. So Tamba says he's carrying his child on a sling, kangaroo sling, yeah. right, yeah. in the streets. He says, I met this old man. He looks at me and says, Tamba, he genuinely feels sorry for Tim. He's like, no, I, Timba. <laughs> I said, Timba, continue. Timba, continue. Keep it up. You're doing a good job. Break those cultural demons. Yes. These people have failed their children and want to transfer failure to you. These, these are dead beats, dead who are drunkards. They have nothing to offer you. They've got broken marriages. Why are you going to go and be role models by people who are losers? That's why they do this, because that's how they think masculinity is in some form of, of not laughing, not smiling, in some form of keeping some, some dignity that has no dignity there because you've got nothing to offer. They don't know they're broken masculine. They've got broken toxic masculinity. So they want to transfer that over. You said, damn but keep it up. Kangaroo sling in the township, you're doing a good job. We are, we are discipling you well. Keep it up. I loved it. So I don't know how I stuck like this and why, because we're in church, we're supposed to. Oh, okay, we free flow. I thought it's supposed to open the scriptures and and those things. Oh, okay. It's, it's okay. Okay, all right. So they, they tell me that, okay, we're breaking through time. <laughs> so I can tell a lot, look, I'm saying these things because I really know, I want you to know that these are things that we never had. I've never had anybody say to me, I love you. So I just don't, so when I come to church and people are hugging each other and I'm like, what's this thing? And you know how we, I mean, you tell, if you ask one or two guys to tell each other they love each other, you know, there's not going <laughs> to. They go like, I feel you. Like, they go, no, I'm not saying <laughs> They can't. We are, you know, our vocabulary is so limited. You know, as men, we grow physically, but we're emotional dwarfs. We're stunted emotionally. You, like, we've grown. There's beard, but emotionally, you're, you're a dwarf. You're stunted. You didn't grow emotionally. Nobody grew you. I mean, you can have, a, you can have, a, have a strong voice and everything, but you, you're a dwarf spirit emotional. You, can't, you have not grown. You can't express your emotions. We express anger a lot because anger is a secondary emotion. It hides the primary emotion, which sometimes is hurt. But we don't know how to get in touch with that emotion. Nobody showed us. They tell us, tell us, don't cry. And tell us, go to jail. Because they don't cry. They go to Iceland. They go to, to the, to the Luna Bean because they don't cry. Because nobody told them it's, it's, it's okay for you to be in touch with your emotion. Why? Because you have them. You have those emotions. You wish them away. They don't go away. They exist. You don't deal with them. They deal with you. 
You don't gotta wish your emotions away. You created with emotions. If you don't deal with them, they'll deal with you. They would send you to the asylum. You're going to be going mad. Who are men? You look at how many people are, are, are mad, picking up rubbish bins. The majority is men, not women. Very few ladies there. You can hardly, but most of you in the streets who have lost it are men. Because somebody told them, don't ever express your emotions. Don't show that you're weak. Don't cry. So I come to church. The next thing I found in church, people are crying. Church is awkward. Oh, Lord, Jesus, I love you. Hey, Jesus, I thought, what kind of place is this? I love you, Jesus. You are the lover of my soul. I'm like, what is place is this? People are crying. Men are crying. I realize, oh, it's the, it's the place where there's an invisible person who doesn't, who doesn't relate with intellectual worship, rational worship. He wants the hearts. He deals with the soft part. He wants to, and he wants you to give, you the, give him his, your heart. He works with hearts. The very parts we hide, with the very parts we want to nobody to get in touch. He doesn't want to deal with your, just your wallet or your rationality. He wants your heart. And when he touches, he touches your heart. And I've never cried. I've never created the way we have cried in church. I mean, I've had people dying around. I mean, you know, people, guys, guys go to a funeral. A friend has died. They go and look at the body. They come back and like... Strong. You know, sniffing. No, just cry. <laughs> just cry. Just let your wife lead you. They get just, that's why the women are healthy. They just they do the job right there. Get over and done with. They come out there, okay. No one's sniffing. <laughs> then we go and then we get into and then we go and drink and we go and use drugs to deal with that crying we did not do then we go and try and silence it with drugs and alcohol because it's still hurting, it's still hurting us we drink it out try to drown it then when we're drunk then we cry <laughs> then we somehow cry real <laughs> Because then we sing, then we cry, we do kind of things. We're in trouble now. Because alcohol is just taking out all that nonsense you're trying to hide. Gets into your heart. So I get to church, people are crying. And the presence of God has been, when it comes over me, I mean, I, I like to keep order myself. You know, I'm, now I'm, a, I'm a pastor, so I'm a man of God. You know, I've got, I've got a ministry, so I've got to keep my reputation you know, I got to keep, you know, people know me, you know. You know, I go places, so I'm a man of the God with all the power for the hour. And, you know, God is, you know, I, I, I mean, you know, I'm an apostle. I've, I'm a bishop, you know. I've got the whole thing. And then Jesus comes around and he doesn't care. He doesn't, doesn't obey protocol. He doesn't do the right things. Comes with the Holy Spirit, floods my soul, and everything doesn't work out. Water works. And I'm crying. And I'm crying. I've cried in church. I don't know why the Lord wants to, 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 to minister like this. I've cried in church. I've cried because God has made me experience emotions in me that I never knew existed. 
When I felt like, I didn't even know there's a part of me that can feel like this. And only God could expose that to me. I'm like, wow. So he's come and flooded my soul and got me in touch with me. Paul says, in him we live and move and have our being. He introduced me to me for the first time. And I met myself and I had to be okay with myself. There had to be a reconciliation. And love myself and accept myself. I thought, I'm okay. He's okay with me. I'm okay with myself. You know. So that's what the presence of God does. And one day I was crying and some things were not going right in the church and I was just sobbing and God spoke to me and I said to me, you don't own anything, not even your heart, your broken heart, give it to me. You don't own anything, give me your broken heart. There's nothing that you owe. I thought, what a nice thing to say if somebody was crying. I mean, really? Like, you don't just give me your heart. So I found Jesus. You're not going to know the Lord if there's parts of you are hiding from the Lord. You can't. God is into deep, call it unto deep. Heart to heart. What you hide from him is going to hinder you from knowing him. You have to come to God and be totally naked. That's why the first created people were naked. And they were naked with each other and there was no shame. Because their relationship with God works well with nakedness. With transparency. So that he can then show you and lead you and equip you. So when you meet other people, you don't have to pretend. You know, the whole thing of pretending, even the ministry of trying to be somebody who's great or give yourself a title, is because of insecurity. It's because of people who don't know who they are in God, therefore they put a facade. They're trying to become something that when you know who you are, you don't have to try and act before anybody else. If I walk into a meeting and nobody recognizes me, it doesn't affect me because I know who I am. I'm not validated by other people's opinion. I know who I am. Before I came in, I know who I am as I live, as I live out. Right? I mean, I could sit in a meeting with people I know in the country, like Angus, and we have, and the people, many people are trying to greet, and he's only sitting with me having lunch, and nobody can talk, and nobody can come in. We're sitting somewhere in the country, and I'm looking at people that are trying to get in, and, oh, Angus, they can't even get in. And I'm chatting, we're chatting, until we finish lunch. Everybody's sitting on the long table, but we're only chatting together. And I'm relieved that meeting, and I go somewhere else, and I meet some, this other person, this other, minister, this other great minister, and, I, and all of that still doesn't define who I am. I'm defined by what I am privately before I meet Angus. Not with the meeting with Angus. I come there already defined and I live there defined. Because if I'm defined by who I'm meeting, what happens when I'm not meeting them? What happens if the door closes and they can't meet with me? Do I now lose my sense of dignity because this guy doesn't want to see me? My dignity is not defined by my ministry. It's defined by my, who I am before God, before the ministry happens. So that when you come in those meetings, when you, when you do the things I'm doing, when you fly out and you go somewhere, you stay in a five-star hotel or you meet some great international minister, when you do those things, those things do not matter to you. You're like, fine, hotel, flight, fine, doesn't matter. What matters is that if it doesn't work out with God, with me and him, it doesn't matter which kind of hotel I'm staying in. What if this main thing doesn't work, everything else is a mess, which would not last anyway. That's why it's important to fight for that relationship with God. Because it's everything. It's everything. 
My relationship with my wife is defined by who I am in God. You must understand, I am a husband. I'm as good as a husband as I'm good in relating with God. So, no, I'm not, my, 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 my role as a husband, if I don't spend time with God, I'm likely to have problems with anger. Because you see, must understand your weakness as a man. You've got weaknesses that you need to be aware of. And one of them, for me, I found that I'm, the issue of anger comes. So what does, what helps me that is not some, some class on workshop or some threat of law of going to jail. I mean, I do not abuse my wife, not because the law says so. I don't need the law telling me not to beat my wife. There is another law working inside of my heart, which is greater than the law of this country. It's much more powerful, and it works permanently 24-7. There's no police in my house. There's a police, however, that is always there in my bedroom. And in my house and every place, there's always a policeman there. It's invisible, but it's always there. He knows what I'm doing. He says, no, this, this is my daughter. You don't speak to her like that. You know, he makes me go and apologize. There's not been a meeting of other council people coming. No, there's a man there. There's a person that says to me, go and apologize. We don't speak to my daughter. Go and apologize. He says to me, I'm leaving the house, and I'm like, but my wife, I gave in, and she's already done grocery, and she's already spent a lot of money, so much spend, like, they always spend money, women. <laughs> but she's got a police. Now I'm here in Cape Town, this police again, says to me, you know, just wire some money. I'm like, but I just, just give us some money. And I have to go and obviously do instant transfers, so there's no delay. So I'm like, I'm like, like, <laughs> 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 She's got an advocate, a paracleto. She's got a helper. Yeah. Somebody who fights for her. He's already defense. Yeah. She's got her own advocate. Works also, also in me. Like, yeah. hey, where now? This is, come on. <laughs> pay. <laughs> I'm stuck. My kids, my kids, they have a police. He tells me. You're not, you know, you, you, you don't, I mean, you don't spend time with your children. Like, I'm like, but I'm, and God never, it's like, I'm like, he reminds me. No, just go to the bed. Go to the story. Go and sit next to the bed until, you know, after she's asleep, but go and sit next to her. Pray together with her. Read a story. Nobody ever done these things for me. So there's, there's no place for me to look at. I have no models around me. He says, go and, go and sit in there in the bedroom with them and chat with them before they sleep. And I gotta kiss the children. I mean, where do I get that? I, there's nobody who kissed me. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not talking about people have kissed. I mean, I'm talking about somebody who kissed me. You know, it, 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 it didn't work. So there am I. I mean, with my kids, I get crazy. I kiss them a lot. And I don't care. I mean, my son knows. I, don't, I mean, I kiss my son at nine. I mean, it's not going to go. He walks away and says, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, you can't just walk away. Yeah? Come on. <laughs> I kiss him. Kiss my son. I hug my son. I hug him. I put him close. And I feel my heart. I have everything else that my, I have is obviously yours. But more than I have what is yours, I'm yours. I'm yours. I, 
I can drop the ministry anytime. I'm yours. Me, I'm yours. I can drop the church. But I'm yours. I live for you. I'll drop anything for you. You must feel that. Children need that. You grow, you, when you do that, you're growing strong adult people. Sober, balanced people. People who want to be broken by anything, they're going to be strong because you're strengthening the, the core of who they are. You're strengthening the core so they can stand straight. So your daughter won't look for the first man to be validated by the first man and you want a boyfriend or somebody to hug it because she's used to be dated by her father. She's used to be hugged by her father. She's used to this. She's not going to try and find it somewhere else because she's used to it. The guy has to match up, match what the dad has done. If he, get, if he comes in low, she would say, no, no, you're not good enough. My dad does done better than this. Why are you taking me to KFC? You need to take me to KFC. I mean, you got to do better than this, man. My dad, I mean, my dad is taking me places. I don't need to be taking places to feel what it is to be treated by a man. I know what it treated well by a man. My dad had done this job. Right. So we, we need to understand as, 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 how he said to me, but I'm not even married. What does that do with me? Look, I prayed for my children long before I was married. My children were in my spirit before they were there physically. And I don't even know who my wife was, but I keep praying for my children. Prayer can be imported into the spirit, into the future. You can pray into the future. You can pray 10 years from now. You can, prayer can be invested. You can bank prayer. I banked prayer. I had a vault of prayer. So whoever those children will be, Lord, I pray that you will use them. I pray that your power will rest upon them. So I was interceding for them long before they were conceived. Because I understood that once they come, they are, I understood what I'm carrying. I'm a seed carrier. I'm a seed carrier. Therefore, the children actually are already inside of me because the seed is already inside of me. What is produced out of you comes out of you because it existed in you as a seed. So you need to understand that you're a seed carrier. All the time you're walking around with seed. When Abraham paid tithes, Levi paid tithes in the loins of Abraham. Levi was born four generations after Abraham. But he paid tithes when Abraham paid tithes. You're a seed carrier. Right? So you need to pray, intercede, and trust God. Now I want to show you a few scriptures so that at least you know we've read the Bible. Because <laughs> it would sound very funny if we didn't read the Bible. <laughs> Just two verses, and then I'll, I'll establish a principle, which we're going to continue I feel in this conference, I'm, I'm talking a lot about, I'm going to touch issues of identity. But I'm going to just try and do them at different levels. Tomorrow I'll talk about when the priest, um, I'm going to deal with you as a priest, because you're a man, you're a priest. So as a priest, when the, before the priest gets his job, this is what I'm going to do with tonight. And tomorrow I'll deal with the priest before he gets his skin. That is now the, the racial composition. What is actually, so, because everything else, how do I put this, Holy Spirit, help me. Everything you do either enhances, reveals, or obscures who you are. Everything you do in life either reveals who you are or obscures who you are. Okay? So in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias, of the division of Abijah, his wife was the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. 
just that. Both Elizabeth and Zacharias were from the divisions of priests. So two people, parents of John the Baptist, were both from priestly divisions. And they got married, which makes the family of John a priestly family. Right? So, so what happens is this. In the Old Testament, when you're about to slaughter a lamb for a sacrifice, I mean, there are three major feasts in Israel, but also there's other things that you observe throughout the year. We know the Feast of Pentecost, of Passover, of Tabernacles. Those are the major feasts that they had to observe. But there's atonement, like right now, just celebrated the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. There's many things that they did which required animals to be sacrificed. But you did not sacrifice the animal privately. You had to bring the animal to the priest for him to validate and confirm that the animal fits and is a, is, is a requisite animal for the sacrifice which you are doing it for. And when he passes it, then you can do the, the sacrifice. And most of even the slaughtering was done by the priest. So it was not like a bride where you just do your own thing. <laughs> you know, you're doing, it was a religious ceremony which was, had to be observed and supervised by a priest. So the lamb would be supervised by a priest that is without blemish, without spot, and, it, it, and there was certain criteria and a qualification for the animal that is supposed to be sacrificed, right? So now John the Baptist is born six months prior to Jesus. So Elizabeth conceives a, a, a baby six months prior to Mary conceived. So John is six months prior, is a cousin of Jesus. And John is a prophet, is a priest prophet. Because remember, whoever is born of a priestly family is a priest. Because priestly was, was, going from, was going the family line, right? So, so Elizabeth and Zacharias are priests, so they give birth to a child who is a priest. So in this case of John, is also a prophet. But his role was not to prophesy to individuals. He didn't give personal prophecies, John. Although Jesus says, all those, of all those born of men, none is greater than John. But John's greatness is not as a result of giving personal prophecies. So, so his prophetic ministry is not defined by how many people he prophesied over or how many accurate prophecies he spoke of which they came to pass, which is what the Deuteronomy 13 says is how he judged a prophet. His ministry of John is primarily that of being the herald, the forerunner to Jesus. But also when John sees Jesus coming to him, he then exclaims in front of everyone else who's observing this interaction, behold the Lamb of God. So he calls Jesus the Lamb of God. In other words, John is doing a priestly function, a priestly ministry. He exists as a priest to confirm what when the Lamb is revealed, he will then confirm publicly as a priest should that this is the Lamb of God that fits what God requires for the sacrifice. That's the role of John's ministry. That's why when he looks at it, he says, behold the Lamb of God that takes Lambs in the Old Testament covered the sin, but it says this one it takes away the sin of the world. Right? That's what John came there for. That's, that's the main reason why John existed, was to announce. Now, he's, he's saying this now to a human being, not an animal, but a human being who's walking on two feet. Now, here's a human being walking on two feet, and John does something uncharacteristic, unusual. He calls a human being a lamb. So people have to wrap their minds around this because they know what a lamb looks like. So John looks at him and says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So that's, that's quite an unusual thing to do. 
At some stage, he looks at Jesus, he says, behold the lamb, and two disciples of John left him to follow Jesus. So he, he loses followership by acknowledging Jesus. So, so that's what John is. So, so John existed to herald, to announce, and to, as a priest to confirm that this man is a lamb of God. So the identity of Jesus is important. Now in Matthew chapter 3, the next, chap, the next scripture I want to show you, in Matthew 3, John, Jesus is a, now is going to be baptized by John. Now, in this situation, um, Jesus was to walk to, to Jordan, which is a sign of humility because it's a long distance to walk into where John was. And, and we see that a great leader like Jesus and a great leader like John have no problem in submitting one to another without anybody feeling insecure about their greatness. Yeah. So, so that's when you know you're a secured leader, when you can submit to other leaders without feeling insecure. So John did not feel insecure, neither did Jesus feel insecure. So he could submit to the ministry of John without feeling that the other ministry is obscuring. So John recognizes, however, that the one who's coming is greater than I. I'm not even worthy to, not only to baptize him, but even to carry the sandals or to, un, to, unloose, to loose the sandals of his but, but Jesus says, but let's permit it to be sort of full all righteousness. Let's let this happen because... Um, Jesus is still living by that time under the Torah, under the Old Testament law. He had to be circumcised on the eighth day. He had to observe the bat mitzvah as a son of a Jewish man. So he still had to go through. So the, Old Testament, the New Testament is not written. It's being written. So everything is still happening under the Old Testament. And Jesus has not gone there to remove but to fulfill the Old Testament. So he lives under the Old Testament. So John baptizes Jesus. The Bible says, when he came up, which means he went down. When he came up, the heavens opened and the, word, the voice declared. So it means it, the principle was that when you go down, when you go down, you provoke the heavens to respond. When you go down, you know, humble yourself. When you go down, the heavens respond to that action of humbling yourself. So when he goes up, the heavens open and the word is declared. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased to hear him. Right? Jesus had not preached one sermon. He had not healed any sick person. He had not done anything in the ministry. But God validates them as his son in whom he is well pleased. So his identity is not, was based on nothing he did, but on who he is. His work was not his identity. His ministry was not his identity. His identity was something separate from what he did. So, 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 so it's important. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, or if you say to me, I want to be like Jesus, you have to understand everything Jesus was, was to model everything we should be. So, so we, don't, we shouldn't look at Jesus as an abstract person who lived his own Jewish lifestyle, nothing to do with us. Let's just listen to his teaching. The things that happened to him, even physically, were pointing to certain things about our lives as human beings, as followers of Christ. Nothing was accidental. Everything fits everything. There was, everything was a fulfillment of some prophetic word declared for him in the Old Testament. Everything was fitting some prophetic utterance. Everything was fitting something that was promised concerning Jesus. So Jesus is, we know, is a word that became flesh. John 1.14, the word became flesh and tabernacled. So it's an incarnate promise of God. So, so Jesus is not just a physical body. He is a being, he's a word tabernacling in a body. So the body is not what, con is not Jesus. The body contains Jesus. 
Jesus is the person living inside the body. He's the word. He says, a body thou art prepared for me. So, but because human beings on, on earth, only bodies are allowed. Only material beings are allowed on earth. Spirits are not allowed. So God could not come into earth as a spirit. He can't break laws. He has to obey protocol which he created. So God himself could not be on earth without having a body. He had to have a body to be on earth. That's how he, he's only legalized to be on earth when he has a body. So he had to have a body. So the body, Jesus became a son when he was born by Mary, but he did not exist when he was born by Mary. He always existed. So he, his birth, John 3.16, for, for God gave full of the world that he gave his only begotten son. So when he was born, that's not the beginning of his existence. That's the beginning of his physical existence. Yeah. But he's the eternal word that existed as a member of the Trinity, which had to, dis, has to come and disrobe his divinity and put on humanity for the sake of our salvation and enters into a human form to be like us, to come on earth to represent God amongst men and went up to heaven to represent men amongst God. Right? So, so he comes here to be Emmanuel, God with us, to show us how to live a divine life. The covenant which he establishes between us and God is such that it is unbreakable unless you break it. <laughs> Paul says, what shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, right? He says, in 1 Corinthians, he says, God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their sins against them, and has given unto us a minister of reconciliation. So previous covenants were between God and the human being, and the human being failed, and the covenant was broken. Between God and Adam, God and Abraham, God and Noah, God and David. So God decided, okay, let's make a new covenant. Let the man's side be represented by a man not born of, the, of sinful flesh. So that he, that, that being, will not be succumbing to the temptation of sinful flesh. So let's, let's release a man from heaven to represent all humanity. So in Jesus is 100% God, 100% man, together making a covenant. And he goes up to the heaven, the Holy of Holies, presents the covenant, enters. He says, Tetaleo, it's finished. The veil is torn. He enters the hall. He sits down, presents the blood, and the covenant is sealed. And the devil is still with Christ in heavenly places. So for the devil to get to, he must go up to heaven, into Christ, because he's still with Christ in heavenly places, and Christ is in God. For the devil to get to, he must go into Christ, and Christ is in God, and take you out of Christ. Is impossible. Because Christ is faithful witness. He's a faithful high priest. So he stands before God on your behalf and you are in Christ. As long as Christ is before God, which is forever, you are before God. He represents you before God. So your identity. So now, tomorrow I'll talk about this. So before you wear a skin... You are made in heaven, but assembled on earth. You know when they talk about iPhone? Designed in California, made in China. <laughs> right? So, so the makers of the product are not the inventors of the product. So they have, they have no copyright, they have no patents. The patents are owned by the owner. They may assemble it because they've got the skill and the time and the labor, or cheap labor in that case. 
But the one who owns it is the one who has the copyright. I mean, Jesus says to disciples, people ask him about paying tax to Caesar. He says, give me, give me the coin. Whose image is on the coin? The Caesar's, right there, right? In those days, Caesar's would put statues of themselves all over the colony where they govern. So when people see the statue, they would bow as if Caesar was there physically. That's how they would control people. He says, okay, in, okay, Caesar's image. Render unto Caesar's what belongs to Caesar, right? Correct? Then and give unto God what belongs to God. So in that case, it didn't make sense who belongs, what belongs to God. So in that space, they're asking about tax, but it answers it dual. Give unto Caesar, first of all, whose image is the coin? It's Caesar's. Okay, right. Now give unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God. So what belongs to God there? Them. The image on the coin is Caesar's. The image of, on them is God's. So they give the coin to Caesar, they give themselves to God. Because they belong to God. You don't belong to your culture. You don't belong to your race. You don't belong to your tribe. You belong to God. He's one that formed. He has a copyright. He has a patent. Right? So, if you don't establish identity in the right way, people will give you permission to be everything else except yourself. Yeah, people have no problem with you being anything else except when you're you. Hey, who does he think he is? <laughs> but there you are. There you are. There you are making your own personal choices. There you are just doing things you want to do. Hey. Have you ever tried this? Have you ever done things that just, you just do what you want to do? You want to eat what you want to eat? When you want to eat it, how you want to eat it, everybody thinks like, so you think you're better now than us? <laughs> I mean, it's like, you, you, I mean, I didn't, I mean, it's like you're fighting. I'm not fighting with anybody. Yeah. Also, no, so now you don't eat our food now. Yeah. Also, you don't, you don't eat what we're eating now. Also, because once you've started in that church called Bay Church, and now you're at a seminar on health, and then that, and then you, and now you think, you're, now you think, and now you th <laughs> that. I mean, it's like, no, I, no, so, now, I've been cooking for you all your life. You've been eating my food, yeah? You're a grown man, because of the way I, I, I now you think you're better. It's a fight. I didn't see that fight. I run, so I, I, I run. So, I, I, I mean, so, I stay in the suburb, because primary reason why I stay in the suburb, my wife refuses to, for us to buy a house in the township. Not in the township, but it's a suburb that is still black, black but my wife refused. I know it's a good suburb, but she didn't want to, because she takes walks, cycles, and I ran, and I could run. Like this morning, I ran 14 kilometers from music back to fish hook and I back. Yeah, I ran. This I like chase the wind and chase it back. <laughs> I enjoyed that. Now, unfortunately, I have to stay in an environment where that's okay. Where I don't have to justify myself to anybody. I don't feel like I have an obligation to justify myself. Why am I running? Hey. He's running. <laughs> Where is he? <laughs> Who is running? <laughs> so one, one day I was running in, in this, I was in some strand, so I was running. In peace. So I was running. So these people, these ladies were, like I think the ladies who worked in these houses were the domestic uh, helpers. So they worked in this. So they in the morning arrived with bus and it's raining. 
Obviously, when I left my home, it wasn't raining. I didn't go around checking the weather. I just ran. And it rained in the process, this, which is also fine because it cools me down. So I'm running, and then I go around these ladies, and I sit in a, in a bus stop, and so I'm about to cross the road. And so they're closer ladies. And so, <laughs> so I'm about to cross the road, and they're talking to each other, but loud enough for me to hear. And they're like, we're oh, healthy. And, and like, I never heard about cool. And, 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 and when they speak like AFF in parliament, like pay back the man, like that emphasis, <laughs> that, that fun English. <laughs> oh, healthy. <laughs> I could feel like they're just rubbing it in, like, Doo. <laughs> I've done nothing wrong, I've done nothing wrong. But they just have to rub it in, oh, healthy. <laughs> you know, you just can't be yourself. But you realize, of course, if you're doing something wrong, people just stay okay with that. You realize that. If I was smoking with a girlfriend, somebody's kissing her, they'd be okay with that. So to, when, you, when, you make, when you do evil, people are okay with that. So when you do righteous things, people are not okay. When you do evil, they're okay with it. You just go around smoking, everyone's okay with that. When is the rest of the rest of you know, we did this, this afternoon, and we're about to, and we're about to eat and we, we bless our food. We, we, we're like, let's pray and bless our food. It's like, what's going on? This is what we do. This is how we roll. We pray. <laughs> I, hope you're, I hope all of you are okay with it. We pray before we eat. If that's okay with the rest of you, heathens. You know, if we just ate, it would be much more better, much more acceptable for us to, to just eat. Right? But when we are doing the thing that is natural for us, it's like, what's going on? People are like, a bit awkward. Awkward for you. Not awkward for us. So we fight for the right to be ourselves. Yeah. We're even we're even trying to we're even trying to what we're just trying to be us. Yeah. We're trying to be sons of God in a wicked generation, yeah. and they make an issue of it, yeah. right? But if you don't establish, and you are not settled in the identity of who you are, you won't make it in this earth. Jesus was so settled, and you know this. At the age of twelve, goes to the temple. Consumerate and, and, and don't discuss issues with the, with the Pharisees. And, because, and they ask him, and they, for three days they look for him and they don't find him. And they can't, don't lose a child only discover three days later. I mean, that's just not good. That's not good parenting. It's just not good parenting. I mean, three days later you know your child is missing. That is bad parenting. Okay, so three days later they discover that the guy is not here. And they walk back. Now they, that's a three day back then. They get back there and they find him in the temple and they ask him a question. Why did you make us worry like this? And he says, what are you worried about? Didn't you know I'm supposed to be about my father's business? And I think for a moment, they must have been thinking to myself, what is this boy talking about? He has Joseph. What father is he referring to? Right. He, this guy, I mean, how many 12-year-olds do you know who know who they are at the age of 12? Who are not, who are not carried on by peer pressure or carried on by what other people are doing, who just know who they are. I don't you know what's supposed to be my father's business. And therefore, for all his life, Jesus knew exactly who he was. When he healed a person, he didn't need that person validating that he's anointed. Just tell no one. I don't need public I don't need publicity. I know I'm, I know who I am. Nothing that ever people. So he didn't allow the many, he didn't allow things. He didn't, he just he just held back. 
because he knew timing, he knew structure, he knew protocol, he knew when. So he, he, he didn't need promotion, he didn't need awards, he didn't need recognition, he, did, he didn't need nothing to validate who he was. He knew exactly who he was. And so many Christians don't get this. They don't get this. I mean, when I meet pastors, they tell me, I've written three books, I wish, and, and they're like, I wish I was going to write a book. I'm like, it's not a fashion. You know, because people feel like, because you've done, I wish I could do it. It's not a fetch. It's not an achievement. If God gave you nothing to write about, stop, don't. I've had people writing things that I'm like, this is not even a book. You, you, you shouldn't have written it. It's bad. You, it was good for, it was good for your home cell and for your church and your members. Not for everyone else's consumption. It's bad English, bad grammar, and these are basic concepts. It's good for your church. For, for the one session, and, and that's it. it it's, you're not an author. You're a booklet. This is a booklet. It's not a book. Because they felt the pressure to be classified as an author. Yeah. When, I, when you introduce me, introduce me also as an author. Amongst many of my, my credentials, I'm also an author. But I found book tables with booklets. Price further, price more than my book of 330 pages. Something that less than half my book is price more than my book. And I know what it means to print. I know the cost. And I know it's not justifiable, that price. I know, because I know how much it pays for that because of final page. I know exactly, doesn't matter where it prints, I know exactly, I can, I can I guess how much it pays for that, and it doesn't justify 250 rands for that kind of material. He's just thinking this is business. Because he feels like it's an action. So, so even you can be, you, you know, there are many orphans behind the pulpit. There are very few sons behind the pulpit. Many are orphans. who use a pulpit to validate themselves. They're insecure. So they don't know who they are. Do you know who I am? Excuse me. Excuse me, everybody. Excuse me. Hello. There's somebody here who doesn't know who he is. Can somebody help this guy? If it's in the head. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. Guys don't know who they are. Guys ask me, and, they, and, and when people ask, so who, who are you? How do you introduce you? How do you introduce you? I say an African club. They look at me like, so that's 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 me. Yeah. I teach, I preach, I prophesy, I lay hands on the sick. That's what I do. I'm a human being, however, not a human doing. So my doing is not my being. I'm a human being. So I, I'm like, I don't know what's the problem. <laughs> Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Never apostle Paul. Not a prefix, a suffix, a descriptor of function. Not identity. Not once the word apostle, 80 times in the New Testament is used, never before a person's name. Not once. The whole Bible. Every time, Paul the Apostle, Paul an Apostle, suffix, descriptor. You are not your job. Have you met Waiter Sally? Plumber John. <laughs> you haven't. Yes. You meet Apostle Africa. Yes. <laughs> Only in the church there's madness. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Schizophrenia. You don't meet painter, paint, painter Steve. 
You mean Steve the painter? In the church, it's a different story. I get offended if you don't introduce me as painter Africa. This church sold on this space stage church. There's no respect. They don't honor the man of God. <laughs> MOG, man of God. <laughs> we have problems. And the, why, I'm, why I talk about this? Because the rest of you are calling to ministry. You're looking up to us. I mean, I tell you, social, I think maybe 80% of every, all emerging ministers are, are all falling off the cliff. All young guys who come to ministry, I've been in ministry for 20 years. Guys who come to ministry right now are all falling off the cliff. They're following the wrong models. Majority of them are just going off the cliff. Going cuckoos. You can't start with the wrong thing. You can't, first of all, you can't talk about somebody you don't know. You may know about Jesus, doesn't mean you know him. You talk, you talk well about somebody when you know the person. Many Christians, I always say, you must preach Jesus to Christians. They don't know Jesus. They just know about him. They don't know his values, who he was, what he stood for. They do everything contrary to Jesus, and they, and they claim to represent him. I mean, how can you listen to somebody talking about Jesus whom he doesn't know? You could see by the way he walks, the guy doesn't know Jesus. Because everything you do, you must ask, would Jesus do that? I mean, what kind of man is this? This man does things that nobody else does. First of all, no Jewish rabbi talks to a female alone. It's not allowed. He talks to a woman who's not only not a Jew, but a Samaritan, half-breed. A person who the Jews consider to be half-breeds, impure people. They avoided Samaria. Samaria was between two Jewish cities. They walked around Samaria to avoid Samaria totally. He walks into Samaria to a woman, not because he's thirsty, but the, the, water, the water was a conversation starter. He didn't need water from here. He could get water from anywhere, but he used the water to create a conversation. He was thirsty for something greater than physical water, the whole summary. He breaks a culture barrier. He breaks a religion barrier. He breaks a gender barrier. He breaks all types of barriers to get this woman's soul. His own dignity is at stake as a rabbi. He breaks it, the dignity, puts it down. His own dignity as a rabbi is at stake. Who cares? Not Jesus. He sits with this woman alone. It's not heard of for a rabbi to talk to a woman, let alone a non-Jewish person. Alone with him. The disciples come and says, he's talking to a woman. <sighs> what does Jesus do? This woman says to her, sir, after he prophesies to her, give you words of knowledge, say, I perceive you're a prophet. What does Jesus do? He doesn't do what you and I would have done. Yes, I am. <laughs> As a matter of fact, you perceive correctly. I'm a forensic prophet. I'm a major prophet. <laughs> Jesus immediately responds, a time shall come and now is when true worshipers. He, he, he deflects attention to where it matters. Worship Father and Spirit and truth. And he speaks. This woman then says, so we know that the Messiah is coming. Then Jesus turns around. The one you're speaking to is he. He's ambivalent on the idea of being a prophet. He doesn't bother with it. But when the Messiah discussion comes up, he immediately confirms it. Why? Priority. He cares more about saving a soul than promoting a ministry. Wow. That's Jesus. 
He's so, nobody is as razor focused as Jesus. Nothing moved him. He gets the job done. He doesn't, nothing moves him. He, he gets the job done. Remember when they said to him, come, Lazarus is about to die. And, and, and he knows that, he's not worried. Days and how urgent. No, no, he's focused. They said to him, no, don't come, he's already dead. He says, I said to you, I'm coming. Relax. I'm still on the way. I've lost, I've not lost time. I've not lost track. I've not, I'm, it's on time. I'm still on, I'm still coming. Relax. I know, you know, no, we know the day of resurrection will come and he will be raised. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. That day is not come, that day is here. I am that day. You talk about that day, that day is here. I'm the resurrection and the life. That's Jesus, very focused. And, and he sees, I mean, if you, for, a, for a rabbi to go in the house of, of what well, this guy, short guy, the short guy who hung. Zacchaeus. It's like going basically in a house of, uh, uh, like you go somewhere and talk about colonization or land theft, and you, you go, everybody's complaining about our land was stolen, right? And then you, you go to the house, the house of the guy who stole the land. <laughs> how are people going to like you? Everybody knows this guy is, owns all the money, owns all the mines. We're poor because of him. Then you see that guy and you say, I'm going to go to your house. Salvation comes to your house. You choose to sleep in that house and you announce it publicly. Uh, by the way, I'm spending the night in your house. How people? How does it do to your ministry, your credibility? Do you, do you think she just cares? He doesn't care. A prostitute walks into his meeting. Now, first of all, it's not supposed to be in his meeting. Walks into his meeting. Everybody's watching. Surely if he hears God, he will descend this story. He descends it, he likes it, he thinks it's a good job. And the prostitute comes, washes his feet, and she just is okay with it. Last one, and we'll close. And then, I mean, a woman had an issue of blood. Women, eh? There's a patriarchy, gender hierarchy, culture issue. She just doesn't care. This woman has an issue of blood. She's bleeding almost every single day. She's hemorrhaging. Men who never experienced, who don't know what it is to have women's issues, who are only concerned about their own dignity, their own religion, their own system, try to prevent this woman from getting to Jesus. This woman decides, I don't care what the Torah says right now. I don't care what the law says. My life is at stake. She can't even stand up straight, this woman. She's crawling because she's weak. But as she crawls, she cites this thing called the hem of his garment. When Jewish law, when the priest wears his garment, that's where they tie the parts of the law. And she cites the hem of his garment. If I can just get there. If I can just get to and just touch that, I'll be made well. You know, you know you are anointed by God when people want to touch you. And other people are like, men of God, I don't want to be touched and protect me. I mean, Jesus allowed children to touch him. When disciples stopped them, they were not doing something that's uncharacteristic. It was in those days like, you have to protect the right. Like we have today with men of God with, with bodyguards. So they, they were doing what people are doing today, right? Protect the men of God, protect the anointing. It, apparently, it's, it's fragile, it's going to be lost then. <laughs> He can lose it, so he must protect it, you know? Somebody can steal it. 
<laughs> if it's there, that's a good question. A good point. <laughs> so, you know you are anointed when children are attracted to you. You can never lie to children. Children are attracted to authenticity. Children can see a fake far away. That's why children easily see the supernatural. They see angels, but children are real. They see stuff. When you're anointed, children want to hang around you. When you so children like that. With children, you, they, you immediately know that you're, really, you're a good man when children want to hang around you. Even if you don't have your own children. I didn't have my own children in church, but I, children always love to be around me. Because they felt received. They felt welcome. Children, children know they, they are hearts people. And so this woman crawls and touches that hem. <laughs> and I think she touched and she walked away. Because immediately the fountain of her blood dried up. Shoop! She just says, something just happened. Somebody just touched me. <laughs> she says, hey, who touched me? The guy says, whoa, everybody's touching. She says, no, 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 you don't understand this thing. Not just somebody bumping into me. Somebody just made a withdrawal. I know, something, I felt virtual. Somebody didn't, just, somebody didn't just bump into me. There are people who bump into Jesus, but a few people take me, make withdrawals. Some people hang around Jesus, but some people come to Jesus, they encounter him once and they withdraw something. Some hang around him all the time, but they withdraw nothing. They get too familiar. They get into religion. But some come desperately, and when they meet him, they withdraw. He felt something came out of me. It's me. I'm not, no, I'm not supposed to be here. Woman, your faith has made you well. People left Jesus whole. They met him broken. They went away whole. And when you are whole, you'll find people will leave your presence whole. You'll give off what you have. You'll meet broken people after they, meet, after they leave you, they'll be whole. But you can't do that if you are remaining broken yourself. Right. So people left Jesus whole. You know, when you, when you especially when you ministry, you need to make sure that you make people feel good about And I listen to ministers and then and then they preach so well. And then people feel good about the men of God. That's nothing wrong with admiring. But when you're really anointed and you have compassion, you need to make people not only feel good about how good you are as a minister, how well, how well. You must make people feel good about themselves. That there's hope for them. They must feel like, I can be somebody. Not like, oh, that man of God is powerful. That's great, right? But they must also feel like, wow, this is how I feel. I'm mean, just be honest with you. When I'm with other guys, like someone like Angus, for instance, this is how I feel like. And now somebody people, people put him down. But when I meet, when I'm with him, I feel like that because he, he 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 makes me feel like he tells me that. I believe in you. You have it's your. It's, we are old now, guys. We're dying old. We're old. It's your time now. So it doesn't. Even though everything around that man everywhere else seems so overwhelming with thousands of guys with helicopters and flights and guys who produce things and that's great. But it makes me feel like the close level that 
I mean, you. I'm like, one day I was with, with Jeffrey Spear and I kept saying, you know, oh, yeah, you know saying? he says, oh, don't call me, sir. Please don't call me, sir. Just call me Baba. I'm like, oh, okay. Because for him, Baba is more endearing. It's more affectionate. It's more real than say. Say it sounds very abstract and informal. He says, "Don't call me sir. Call me Baba." Right. So to be in the presence of such great men and not, because I don't know about you, but I always feel small, right? Because it's natural. I always feel like I'm nobody. It's their responsibility to make me feel differently. They can't rub it in. You know, they, they can't rub it. I'm already feeling bad about who I am. I already, I'm already feel like I'm a failure. They don't need to, they don't need to make it worse. Yeah, exactly. uh, how many people do you preach to? Uh, when the last time you went one, you, you I'm like, <laughs> give me some hope. <laughs> Throw me some lifeline. Make me feel like I, I can be somebody. Right? That's what the father did to Jesus when he called out his identity. This is my beloved son who I'm well pleased. Hear him. So tonight, I want to pray that God will do a supernatural work in your lives. That you know that you know that you know that you know that the Father loves you. And he values you and he validates you. And is pleased with you. Not for your prayer, not for your offerings, not for your job. Not for anything, just for who you are. He's pleased with you. I've realized that. I've realized that the Father never gets impressed with me because I preach 100 people or 1,000 people. Be just like, <laughs> you pray, you don't pray. I'm pleased with you. Right? And I made this confession here at YOM. I was at YOM. I said, only about five years ago, I started reading the Bible not to prepare for sermons. I've been ministering for 20 years, but I've been reading the Bible to prepare for sermons. So when weekend happens, I'll get nervous. It's Friday. <laughs> when I started to read the Bible for myself, a Bible reading plan every year, when the year ends, I start again. That's when I began to read. I would go to church before I have a pressure on a Sunday to perform. I walk into church, and I look at the people, and I feel pressure. I didn't enjoy a service for many years. Then when I realized... There's no rest in this thing. This is not how it's supposed to happen. Then I change my mindset, and I go to church, and I do not care whether I have a sermon or not, who's coming. I just come to, I've come to worship with these people, and maybe somewhere in between I'll have a word for them. Otherwise, no pressure. That's when my ministry began to be going to a higher level. When I lost this pressure to perform, when I stopped becoming a performer, I'd be a person. And that's when also it was easy for people to relate with me. Because I would tell them my fears, could tell them my issues, and they could relate with me as a human being. Oh, okay. Oh, like, oh, so you said yes. <laughs> I'm like you. Yeah. I am struggling with pornography. Yes, I have to fight daily the temptation to look at porn. Yes, pastor, pastor, yes. Man of God, yes, man of God. I must look at my computer, I get a, a strange email that says, click here. And like, <laughs> delete. But did the thought come to click? Of course. Even after deleting, something says, 
just go to the trash bin. <laughs> and go and check out, baby. You just trash has to cleanse. People are like, huh? I said, yes. I told them it's a daily struggle. I'm anointed. Preach to 20,000 men. I'm still going on. I'm like, jeez. Where's for us who stay in hotels alone? You don't know these things, eh? You think, uh, no, we, we fly, we stay in hotels alone. You are not there. I stay in a hotel in Tata, called Savoy Hotel. And then I went to the reception. I went back to my bedroom, my room. A knock came into my room. And I opened the door. A lady in the, in the door, she said to me, Buti, I don't have a place to sleep. In a hotel. <laughs> I just like, I thought... I mean, I said, no, I can't help you. And I sat at the edge of my table. I was shaking with fear. I'm like, yo, 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 hey. Yo, 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 yo. The devil is alive. He's alive. He's real. He never sleeps, no slumbers. I thought, he wants to kill me. And I was, sometimes we relaxed eh? after we anoint, especially after we preach and anointing comes. After that, we just sow in the flesh. I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, you, the devil doesn't sleep. Man, before I was born again, I could not get a girlfriend. It was difficult. <laughs> I go this way, nobody wants me. I go this way, nobody wants me. Now they're tripping over themselves, see? <laughs> Jezebel, Delilah, everywhere. <laughs> so... That's why I have to remind myself I am not a man of God. I am a man. First, I am a man. Not just of God. I am a man. You know I'm anointed, but I'm a man. It never changes the fact that I'm a man. With the anointing, I am a man of God, but I am a man. Elijah was a man. Such is the life passion. So you don't forget you are a man. And as a man, you know you've got many issues. Don't forget, you are a man. You sing well, you are a man. Never forget that. You preach well, you are a man. Always remember that. So I don't travel with women I don't know. I don't get into stuff. Because I'm a man. People are nice to me. They're overly nice. and They want to treat me, hey, man of God. And I'm like, whoa. Where's my wife? Oh, Lord, help me out. I'm still a man. I'll always be a man. And I'm fighting to be the man of God. Mm. Let's pray. Dear Father, we bless you tonight. Thank you that you have already called us out. We are not failures. We are victorious. We are more than conquerors through Christ that gives us strength. We are not outcasts. We are not defined by our jobs. We are not defined by our ministries. We are defined by who we are in you. That you have already spoken well of us and there's nothing that can be changed. No one can change us because you have already established us. I pray tonight that every man here will be established in the truth of who they are in you, Father God. We are your sons. We are your sons. We are your sons and you love us. You love us. You love us. I pray for your anointing, your presence to be in this place. Every man would know 
they will sense it, they will be so confident that they are not judged by how much they make, how much they earn, what clothes they wear, that they are judged by the grace of God, as we have heard this already, that you're pouring out your grace as a free gift. Thank you for us understanding that grace and that we cannot earn it. There's nothing we have to do to earn your pleasure. You are pleased with us. You flood us with your love. You sing over us with rejoicing. You rejoice over us. Your song over us is love. It's kindness. Pray that you will establish us tonight, Father. Oh, what a wonderful God you are. What a glorious God you are. Father God, there's, there's no prefix here. There's no poor man. There's a man of God. There's no colored man. There's no coarser man. He's just a man. It's the son of God. We remove the prefix. We remove that, that condescending and the, and the boxing descriptors, the things that have become the biggest identity markers in our lives. We remove them. We stand naked before you as men and as sons of God. And we thank you that we are defined only by that as sons of God. We bless you, Jesus. We bless you, Father God. We bless you, mighty God. We bless you, Father God. We bless you. We bless you. We are the beloved of our Father. We are the beloved of our Daddy. We are the beloved of our Father. We cannot love us more. You cannot love us less. You've loved us with a fullness. The best is given to us here right now in this conference. The best has been released to us on the cross we are your special treasure. Thank you, Father God. There's no clergy, laity. There's no gap. There's no distance. There's a whole priesthood company sitting here tonight. The anointing has been poured out upon each person here, clothed with a white robe, set apart. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, we bless you. Oh, we bless you. Just sit on the anointing right now as we are about to leave. But I want you just to sit on the anointing. Just allow the Lord to soak you right now. Allow the Spirit of God just to soak you. That anointing of God just flood over your soul. That you may know that you know that you know that you know. That He loves you. That He loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you with an everlasting love. My job, anybody's job is not identity. It's not identity. Nobody is better. We're just different. We're just different. We're not better, but we're just different. He loves us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.